0: Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at celebrationedm. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. What if God left us to function according to how we feel when we wake up in the morning? Just think about that. What if God's disposition towards your life was, well, you know, you you be you. You know, you've heard that one before. It's like, I know some yous that shouldn't be you. They should try to be something different than you. What if God just sort of left it that way? You know, some days you, you, you'd you be like, oh man, I just go back to bed. That's today is a go back to bed day. Other days you're like, I know I'm supposed to be going to heaven, but I don't feel like it. I feel more like the other side of that, you know. But there's a, there's a bigger issue to all of this, which is this, that people will not act in a way that is inconsistent with what they believe about themselves. You, you function out of what you believe about yourself. What you, what you really believe about you is determining how you are leading your life. A great biblical example from that comes from when the spies were sent in by Moses to spy out the land. Joshua and Caleb come back. Our God is well able to give us the land. They're they're pumped. They're ready. Let's go take it. It's a wonderful place. Everything is larger than life. And they're positive. The other spies come back. Yeah, larger than life. They're all giants. It's terrible. We're all going to die. But then they make this comment We felt like grasshoppers. And, And it was that belief about themselves that ultimately determined their actions how they carried out their life and and why they responded. So God doesn't leave us to just arbitrarily sort of believe whatever you want about yourself from day to day based on your emotions and your feelings and your imagination. He directs us. He, He says things in the scriptures about our lives that direct our thinking to think rightly about who we are and what God can do in and through our lives. Now, when you read the Bible, you'll read about Jesus. Uh, uh, There you go. You'll read about Jesus. (laughs) Well, something new got said at church. You'll read about Jesus impacting people around him, right? There's like this whole litany of stuff. You'll read about the miracles. You'll read about healing. You'll read about him comforting people. You'll read about him casting out demons and people coming into their right mind. You'll read about him teaching people who really wanted to know more about what it meant to have a relationship with God and you know what is God really like and what are his expectations and and he would hold them captive with with his words about these things. In John chapter nine and verse five, it says this, Jesus said, while I am in the world, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. You probably have heard that phrase before. You know, maybe at Christmas time or something like that, you hear that phrase, oh, Jesus is the light of the world. And, you know, that's why we have lights everywhere at Christmas time and, and you know, and 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 hang them up because Jesus is the light of the world. That's what he's all all about. Then in John chapter one and verse four, it says, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The life of God that was in Jesus was the light of men. The life of God in Christ impacting the world around him. But the plan of God doesn't stop there. Now we move on to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 where it says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Would you just turn to the person beside you and tell them, you are are the light of the world? Yeah. I don't know about you, but it's easy to say that he is the light of the world. It may be a little awkward to say, I am the light of the world. That's why we need to understand it. Matthew 5:16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light, your life is destined to make a difference in the lives of others. That is your destiny. If you're following Jesus, I promise you this. You say, what is God going to do with my life? I'll tell you what he's going to do. He's going to use you to make a difference in the lives of others. And it's a difference for eternity, by the way. He says, your light, your light is to shine before men. Your light. Notice that word "your." So, what is this light that he's talking about? Well, First John five eleven tells us, and the testimony is this: that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. See, God is not looking for Jesus to shine the light of the gospel anymore. That does not sound right. God is not looking for Jesus. He said, while I am on the earth, I am the light to the world. But then the scripture now says, you are the light of the world. He has placed the life of Christ in Christ's followers, and he is looking for us to be the ones that shine that light. He is looking for Jesus to shine Through you and me, through our lives, Jesus was impacting and influencing others through his ministry, but now that opportunity and that responsibility lies with every Christ follower on the planet. God wants to shine the light of the gospel through you. He wants to use you. He wants Jesus represented through you. God still wants to change the world. He's just gonna do it through Christ in you. Christ in you. That's why the first... Christ followers, the early Christians that you'll read about in the book of Acts, prayed for things like boldness and for confidence and for God to fill their mouths with the right words when they spoke. They knew it was going to be from them that God was going to move. The first Christians got it right when they prayed these kinds of prayers. I call them as I go prayers. They didn't pray, should I go? No, that was not even a question on the table. Jesus had already commanded them to go. So they're not praying, well, Lord, should I go? Lord, do you want to use me? Lord, do you think I might have the gifting and the capacity to be able to actually share Jesus? They're not praying those kinds of prayers. Many times Christians struggle with these thoughts in their own mind, like, well, isn't that for people of a certain gifting or all these kinds of things? And really, it's just a barrier in your thinking. Instead, what they did is this. They embraced the commission to go and to share and to reach out to others and then prayed as I go prayers. Okay, Lord, I'm going, so this is what would be really good if you would do right now. And so here's one of them. Acts chapter four and verse 29. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're praying, and as I go pray, Lord, I'm about to speak. Would you give me the words? Lord, I'm about to pray for this person. Would you extend your hand for that miracle of healing that's meant to happen in their life? What they're saying is this, is that God, you're going to move when we move. You gotta catch that. God wants to move, but he's looking for you to actually start this thing. God's gonna move when you move. When we talk, you're gonna speak through us, Lord. When we lay hands on the sick, your hand is extended to heal. When we share Jesus, your spirit is there to build faith and to convict and to convince. Matthew chapter five and verse 13 from the Message Bible says this, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt, seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. You can tell it's the message version of the Bible. <laughs> but at any rate. This is Jesus, though, talking to his disciples about how he wants to work with each individual believer, their destiny. And I just want to encourage you. Sometimes I think that people sort of downgrade that to being content with being in a church that wants to make a difference, whether they're personally doing it at all themselves. In other words, I I, I like the idea that the gospel's preached. I like the idea that baptisms are happening. People are making decisions for Christ. Hearts are being, I like the idea of that. So I can can be in a place, especially a larger church like this, I can be in this place where I get to, you know, participate by way of watching all of this happening. But, But I submit to you, don't downgrade your faith about that to being just a corporate experience when God wants to use you. God wants to work through you individually. God wants to work through you and the relationships that you're connected to. So what does it take? to live out being salt and light in the world. I've just got three little points here I'm gonna talk to you about today that'll help us with this. Here's the first one. Be intentional to live on mission. Be intentional to live on mission. You know, there's a a notion sometimes that people have about the work of the Holy Spirit in their life where it's like, if the Holy Spirit moves me, that's when I'll take action. and I, I don't I don't downplay that in the sense that, yes, that's a truth. There is a truth to that that we can be in different situations of life, things maybe where we're praying about decisions or looking for God's leading in some things. and and that will happen. That will experience, man, the Holy Spirit's put this on my heart. I just feel this is what I need to do, you know. And so we'll go ahead and we'll act on that, and, and we'll we'll be moved by that, we'll do that. That is a truth. However, when it comes to your ministry into the lives of people around you, it doesn't work that way. It can, but most of the time, it is according to your will to embrace obedience to God's word. And then as you act, you experience the spirit of God happening in that moment. In other words, if we were to take on the earlier position I just talked about, that's like having your child tell tell you, yeah, you told me to clean the room and I'll do it as soon as I feel moved to do it. <laughs> yeah, never. Exactly, exactly. They just, they just never feel led. There's just no... Never feel led. But you know, it's not about that. It's about, hey, you just need to follow the word. Listen, God always honors when we act on his word. It's just the way it is. If you're a person who's thinking, well, I need to feel moved by the spirit to do everything I'm gonna do in my Christian life, you're gonna live a very narrow, limited Christian life. I'm just gonna tell you that. You've got to be able to take the word of God in your heart and respond to the word of God. I'm not waiting to... Feel like I should share with somebody. I'm not waiting to feel like I should obey God in regards to holiness. You know, I don't know if I feel like, you know, just being committed to one wife. See how that flies. <laughs> no, I'm gonna act in obedience to the word, and the Holy Spirit will empower my obedience to his word. A lot of Christians are still waiting for a feeling to start tithing. At any rate, moving right along. Listen, do you know what the sign of maturity is in your children? It's when they stop looking to their feelings to make decisions. And I think a lot of times in believers, we need to be that way as well. And if we'll learn just to obey the word of God, let me tell you something. God will move with miracles. He'll confirm his word. and He'll give you plenty of positive feelings because you embrace and obey the word of God in any and every area of your life. God always honors his word. Jesus commanded us to go. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 says, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe uh, all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. The only time the disciples were told to wait was when the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened at Pentecost. They were told you're supposed to wait for the Spirit of God. But listen, after that waiting, it was all go. It was all go. There was no more waiting. It was not like, okay, you've waited, uh, you know, for for the Holy Spirit. Now you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now you just need to wait some more. No, now you need to get going. And listen, as they got going, as they got ministering, there was the seeking the Lord to continue to direct as they built churches and all these different things happened. But they were already in the action of going. The promise is this. As you go, God goes with you. As you work, God works with you. Mark chapter 16 and verse 20. They went out and preached everywhere. While while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word with signs that followed. Listen, think about the order of this. The Lord worked with them and confirmed the word. What came first? The Lord working with them? No, the word. The word. They were already sharing the word. They were already opening their mouths and preaching Jesus. They were already in conversations and in the context of them initiating and leading those conversations just like they'd been told to, the Holy Spirit worked with them and confirmed with signs that followed. But it started with their intention and it started with their action. It's a whole lot easier to direct a moving ship than it is to get one going from the dock. The difference between believers who get into spiritual conversations with people or at least invite people to church and those who don't is just one simple thing and that is intentionality, intentionality. They make a point of reaching out. They make a point of invitation. They make a point of, of finding an opportunity for conversation. They, they're not like waiting for it. They'll create it. They're, they're, and they're okay with getting in the conversation and it doesn't matter how it goes. At least we got into it. Matthew chapter five and verse 14 from the New American Standard. You are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill, cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. In other words, don't hide your faith, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men. I love these next four words, in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I like this last expression. Glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, their connection to you should be one where they're like, I'm glad you're in my world. Their connection to you should leave them with this, glorify your Father who is in heaven. What does that actually look like? Well, they're not gonna, your neighbor's not suddenly gonna walk out in his driveway and start singing praise and worship. You know what I'm saying? But, but here's what they will do. They'll be like, oh, I thank God for you. I, I, like, I like you. I, I, I appreciate you. I'm glad to have you in my world. I'm glad to call you my friend. I'm glad to have you as a neighbor because they can see you know, the kind of character you have, your integrity, your honesty, your joy, your kindness, your serving, your contribution, how you treat others. The message needs to come both in deed and in word in both of those things. And here's what happens when when we deliver it right. When, When we are, I'm glad to know you, not I'm sad to know you, kind of people, okay? Here's what happens. You earn the right to be heard. You earn the right to be heard. How we live, what we contribute, how we serve others, treat others, respect others, we earn the right to be heard. Colossians chapter four and verse five says, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. He says, make the most of the opportunity. Well, we do that as a church. We just constantly live in opportunity. Every Sunday is an opportunity every alpha is an opportunity, every risen gathering is an opportunity, every young adult service is an opportunity, we've got camps happening for children and youth, another opportunity, but it's not limited to the corporate church activities, it's about the opportunities that are in your world individually, you as a person, on your own, those opportunities. The fact that you're going to go to work somewhere this week, that you have relationships in that place that you don't have anywhere else is your opportunity. The fact that maybe this summer you're gonna go to a, a family event, a family reunion or something like that, it'll be another opportunity. The fact that you're in conversations all the time that are opportunities or you have routines in life, going to the gym, whatever it may be, that are opportunities. It's in making the most of the opportunity and being intentional that we get to reach out to others. You know, many times those opportunities actually come in the form of pain and problems. It's not like whether you like it or not. It's just a fact of life that when, when people are in that place of pain and problems in their life, it's a, it's a place of opportunity for ministry to them. There's an openness that's there because of those needs. Their pain and their problems actually become our opportunity to serve to console, to pray, to minister, to represent Jesus to them. Romans 2.4 says, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, his tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Well, we, we get to actually demonstrate Jesus's kindness in person with people who are in pain and people who are troubled, people who have problems happening in their their life. As a matter of fact, uh, just after the first service, I had somebody come up to me and say, you know, that is so true. I actually just last week got to go visit and minister to a family member of mine who's dealing with sickness in their world. And it just just opened up that very thing, that opportunity to go and, and be able to minister to somebody. It's the opportunity to demonstrate the unselfish nature of the gospel, to give expecting nothing in return. You know, to go the extra mile, to show God's kindness in a practical way. Jesus often ministered to pain and problems before he got to bring the word of God, the spiritual teaching, lead them into relationship with what it means to have the Father in their life. Jesus would minister to pain and problems, healing, miracles, provision, comfort, all of these things. His ministry to felt needs, earn the opportunity to speak into spiritual needs. And many times that's what happens in our world as well. You know, I, just this week, I got into a conversation with somebody at a cafe because they asked to borrow a pen. A big felt need, right? I need a pen. I need, can I borrow a pen? So what did I do? I went the extra mile and I gave them the pen. Aren't you impressed? I gave them the pen. But here's the deal such a simple thing. Somebody needed a pen, asked for a pen. Can I borrow your pen? No, you can have it. Here, have my pen. But you know what? It led to a conversation where we got to talk about spiritual things. A simple act of serving, and it became an opportunity. Number two be intentional about building relationships. Be intentional about building relationships. Jesus starts his ministry by choosing 12. And, you know, that's a pretty decent number of people to have in your world as your friends and relationships. But but he doesn't carry on with an attitude of, look, my friend circle's pretty big here. You know, it's all I can handle. No more room. Jesus was intentional about building relationships. Um, And of course, this wasn't the norm for the religious community who looked at people, and here's, here's how they looked at people. There are insiders and there are outsiders. There are us and there are them. Jesus never looked at people as us and them. He looked at people as all being what? Created by God in God's image, whether they were following or not following. He still embraced and loved people because they were people not because of anything else. He wasn't, he didn't go, oh, okay, you're a believer, you're not a believer. We, we've got a deal totally different. No, no, he just saw everybody as somebody loved by God and worth dying for. And in Luke chapter seven, and verse 34, it says this, the son of man came eating and drinking. And you said, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is Jesus rebuking the religious community. And their biggest criticism of him was that you're supposed to be a holy person, but you're a friend towards people who would have nothing to do with godliness or godly ways at all. That they saw that as their biggest criticism, I think Jesus saw that as his biggest compliment. The idea that a holy man would spend time befriending people far from God was offensive to them. For Jesus, it wasn't offensive, it was normal. He just stepped out of his inner circle, here's my 12, to say, but I'm gonna befriend others. The value of being the salt and light is found in our connection, listen, with those who need salt and light. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about this. He says, even though I am free of the demands and the expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose living immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I love that. Here's my question to you. Whose world are you in? Whose world have you entered? Paul was intentional. He's saying, I actually have entered their world to build relationships. What does that mean? I've entered their world. Well, he's not saying I live on Mars and I came to Earth. No, no, no. (laughs) Here's, Here's what he's saying. The expression means this. Each of us have a world that we live in. And that world is defined by our activities and our relationships. That pretty much defines your world. You can say, well, what is my world? My world is, here's my job, uh, here's my hobbies, here's my family, here's my friends. That's it. That's your world. What Paul is saying is, I got into the world of others. I wasn't a part of their world, but I was intentional to get into their world. World, to connect with them, to be a part of their world. Paul made it very distinct that he could connect with their world without needing to participate in a worldly way. In other words, I don't have to compromise my values and my morals. I can still get into their world. Listen, influence happens in the context of relationships. Relationships build trust, and trust is the foundation for receptivity. There has to be a context, though. To, to build around or to enter their world. And that context is often common interests. Common interests connect you to people relationally. What you have in common causes you to enter their world. Maybe their family, so you're related. Maybe it's where you live. Maybe it's where you work. Maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe it's your sports. Maybe it's your routine. This is my favorite restaurant, my favorite cafe, whatever it may be. Maybe it's just your interests in life. But here's the deal. Your interests make you interesting to others. Your interests make you interesting to others. In other words, they connect you. They're, They're the doorway. They're the bridge into somebody else's world. Not only do they connect you, but they actually promote you. Paul understood that simply having common interests was like a bonus card, into a relationship with those who are around him. That's what it was like. It's like, you know, you meet somebody, you chat a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we kind of have a little little, uh, conversation. It's all good. It's all good. But then as soon as they find out that you have an interest that they have an interest in, how many of you know something? It's like you got a bonus card. Take four more steps forward. You know how you play those games, pull the card. Yeah, I got four more steps. That's what happens relationally with common interests. You just go up four more steps in the ladder of relationship and connectivity. That's how you enter their world. Number three, embrace God confidence over self-confidence. Embrace God confidence over self-confidence. The importance of confidence is this, is when you're confident, it moves people. The Bible says that the gospel was preached with full conviction, full conviction, and when you have confidence, you'll speak up. And when you speak with confidence, you're heard. Confidence comes from the promises about the Holy Spirit. I want to give you just a, a, a few of those. John chapter 16 and verse 8 says this. When he comes, he will convince the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. It's the Holy Spirit doing the convicting. Matthew 10:19. But when they hand you over... Do not worry about how or what you are to say. So many believers are like, oh, if I got in a conversation, I wouldn't know what to say. Well, here's your answer in this Bible verse. Don't worry about what to say. Don't worry about it. Why? For it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. In other words, you're just supposed to open your mouth. God will fill it. He'll show you what to say. John 6:44. No one can come to me unless what? The Father who sent me draws him. I'll raise him up on the last day. Listen, it's about putting your confidence not in you, but in what the promises are about the Holy Spirit. Confidence increases when I take my thoughts off myself and put them on the promises of God. I'm not doing this, I'm not reaching out, I'm not obeying Jesus and all the rest of it with some kind of self-confidence. I'm putting my confidence totally in the promises of God. God, you said that when I would act, you would come through, miracles would happen, lives would be changed, and, and, and we'll see all of that happen as long as my confidence is in you. Confidence comes through prayer. Ephesians 6, 19 says, pray on my behalf, Paul says, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. Here it is again. Paul saying, I'm gonna open my mouth. Would you pray that God would give me the words to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel? He's praying for confidence. He's praying for boldness. Their intimidation was the government, was death, was all persecution. Our intimidation, frankly, is mostly in our head. Have confidence, finally, in the message of the gospel. Romans 1:16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith what is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. Here's the the amazing thing about the gospel is this. Unlike anything else, the gospel has the power to change hearts and give somebody an absolute new beginning, or as the Bible calls it, a born-again experience. That's the power of the gospel. It's not your power. It's not your convincing. It is the power of the message of Jesus brought to somebody that it has the capacity. And here's the beautiful thing too. As you preach the God, as you share Jesus, the Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Just your sharing of Jesus is enough to lift their faith to open their heart to the gospel that will change their lives forever. There is nothing in the world like it. There is nothing in the planet. No religion is even close to this. All they are is a list of rules. Try to follow all those rules. You're still the same old person. You're just trying to live in a different world. There's no government that does all of this. They change rules, but they never change hearts. You can change rules all you want. If the hearts don't change, people find out how to break the rule. It's just the way it is. But the gospel is the power of God to change your life. Could you stand with me as we take time to pray? Father, I just thank you for the power of the gospel. Lord, for many of us in this room, we are a demonstration. Our very life is a demonstration of the power of the gospel that we heard about Jesus and we believe that we received Jesus and our lives were changed forever. And now, Lord, we are totally surrendered to following you and motivated to serve you. Lord, I pray as the early church prayed, I pray for boldness for everyone who is here. I pray, Lord, that we would realize and walk through the opportunities around us. I pray that we would enter into worlds, people's worlds around us, just as Paul did, and realize this is my opportunity to serve this person in the ministry of the gospel. Jesus, I pray that our lives would would demonstrate something that people would give glory to God for, that they would say, I am glad to have you in my world. And Lord, may, may we just continue to be a testimony, to be a witness, and to make a difference in the lives of others. With our heads bowed, I want to pray one more prayer because, you know, maybe you're here and someone brought you to church. You've been looking into Christianity for a while, whatever the case may be, or whether you're online and that's your story, but maybe you haven't begun your relationship with Jesus yet. So how do I do that? Well, when we're at a place of faith, of okay, I realize Christ died for the sins of the world and rose again. There is no other Savior. It is only in Jesus Then the Bible says, now it's up to us. Remember I talked about you take action, then God moves? Well, when it comes to the gospel, God's already moved. Jesus already died and paid for our sins and rose from the grave to give us eternal life. But now the ball's in our court to respond to that, to say yes to Jesus. And when you do, you begin a relationship with him and God begins to work in your life and you begin to witness the truth of of the Holy Spirit working in your world. Why? Because you took the initiative to say yes to what God has already provided for you. And if you're here and you're that person who says, you know, I've not yet done that. I've not yet surrendered to Jesus. I've not yet said my yes to him in my life. This is your opportunity to have a conversation with God in prayer. We're gonna lead you in that. And we're gonna pray with you in that. And this is your opportunity to begin to walk with God in your life. A brand new start forgiven with eternal life. With our heads bowed, let's all pray this together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross paying for the sins of the world, including my sin. And you rose again to give us a brand new life and eternal life. I ask you to forgive my past. I invite you into my life. I confess you as my Savior and the Lord of my life. And I'll follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for a new beginning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationemmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationemonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.